Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. We can devote unnecessary time, unnecessary mental energy, unnecessary argumentation on Facebook or whatever it is, debating and arguing about and quibbling over matters that aren't perfectly plain in Scripture. Okay, so maybe something like when Jesus is going to come back. You know, there's different theories and ideas and people get so animated about it. Or, or another topic that people can argue about, whether Jesus could have sinned and stuff like that. And some people, you know, the Bible's not perfectly plain about that, but they spend so much time and energy quibbling about it and debating about it and arguing about it, that when they do that, they can neglect the matters that are of far greater importance when it comes to the Word of God. Matters such as worldwide evangelism, right? Like, does your, does your theory of, of whether Jesus could have sinned, as important as that might be, is that really as important as, 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 as reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ or, or loving our brothers and sisters? And when Jesus speaks here, Listen carefully. When Jesus speaks here in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he speaks plainly. He does not speak with ambiguity. So there's like, well, we, we don't really know what he's saying here. You know, we can misunderstand what he says. When Jesus speaks here in John chapter 13, he speaks with authority. He speaks plainly, and therefore this is a main thing that Christians, we need to make sure we are focusing on. And Jesus teaches here in John chapter 13, basically, that Jesus' followers are to love each other as He has loved them, so that all people may recognize the authenticity of their devotion to Him. And if we're wise this morning, we need to pray, Lord, give us ears to hear this command and apply it into our lives. First thing I want to look at this morning is the context of Jesus' command. What's going on when Jesus gives this command? This is not some random time in the ministry of Jesus Christ when He decided to give this new commandment. This is an important time. If you read the Gospel of John, you'll, you'll see a phrase that pops up, Jesus saying, or, or whether John writing gives it, that Jesus' hour was not yet come. Okay, Jesus says that about Himself, and, he, and John says that, and Jesus says, my hour is not yet come. It's kind of you know interesting phrase, but what Jesus is saying is, it's really not my time to die. It's not my time to be betrayed and die and rise from the dead and all that. But in, in John chapter 13, we reach a pivotal moment at the very beginning of John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles open, you could see this. At the beginning of John chapter 13, Jesus, the Bible says, is conscious that John says, His hour has come that He should depart out of this world unto the Father. So before, you know, it wasn't Jesus' time. It wasn't His time to die. It wasn't His time to, to go. But now His hour has come. Jesus, the Bible says, is conscious of it. He's aware that the time for His departure, it's soon at hand. And because Jesus is aware of that, He begins to reveal to His disciples, His very confused disciples, that He is soon to depart. Okay? So Jesus, He becomes aware that, you know what, the time is at hand, my hour has come. 
And then he begins to speak to his disciples. In John chapter 13, verse 31, right before this, Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified. He goes on a little bit later and says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Okay, So this is what we could say, that these are some of the last words of Jesus. That these are some of the final words that Jesus spoke. Obviously, He speaks a lot more, but these constitute some of His last and final words. And I think we can all agree that somebody's last words are important words, right? What somebody says toward the end of their life is some words that we ought to cling, cling to and hold on to. I was looking up, you know, just some famous last words that uh, different people have, have spoken over the, the years. Have you ever heard the famous last words of a redneck? Anybody ever heard that? Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all, watch this. Before they do some stunt. Famous last words of a redneck. Hey, y'all, watch this. I was looking it up. George Washington's last words are recorded as, Tis well. Old way of saying, it is well. Johnny Cash died somewhat recently. His final words were, it's time. George H.W. Bush, one of our previous presidents, said to his son George W. Bush, his final words are recorded as saying, I love you too. That's some good last words, isn't it? Hey, y'all, watch this. It's time. Tis well. What's Jesus' last words? Before Jesus is about to depart, what is his final message to his disciples? Guys, just love each other. That's basically what he says, right? Guys, there's gonna, I'm going to give you some more information, but at the end of the day, this is what I want you to know. Love each other as I have loved you. And so this morning, we would do well to heed all of Jesus' admonitions, right? All of Jesus' instruction, all of His commands, but we would be especially wise if we listen this morning to what He says at this passage and, 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 and heed this admonition to love. So that's the context, and I think I wanted to say that because it's important that this isn't just some random teaching of Jesus, but these are His final words before He, he departs and He dies. Let's look secondly at this, the meaning of Jesus' command. When Jesus says this, what is he meaning when he tells his disciples to love each other? So Jesus states, Jesus states, he says, a new commandment, okay, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says new commandment? What does Jesus say when he means new? Jesus does not mean new in the sense that this instruction is formerly unknown. He's not saying new in the sense that this is never heard of before instruction that no you know, Jewish believer, anybody would have ever heard about before because love was already required by God in the law. You probably remember Jesus was asked a famous question. It's recorded in Matthew 22. What is the greatest commandment of the law? Everybody remember that question the lawyer asked? What's the greatest commandment of the law? And what is Jesus' response? He responds by saying, first, you need to love God. And secondly, you need to have love for your neighbor. Well, where, where does that come from? That comes from the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, what Jesus quotes, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy might. 
And then he quotes Leviticus 19.18 that says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Jesus says that this is a new commandment, I want you to understand this, that this is not something new in the sense that it's never been heard of before, okay? because love has already been taught in the law. So what does Jesus mean? Well, what Jesus means is the newness, it's located in that next expression where Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. That's not what's new. This is what's new. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. The newness isn't just to love, but it's dealing with a certain kind of love. Jesus is not just concerned that we love each other, but that we love each other as He loved His disciples. Okay, so Jesus says, as I have loved you, in the way that I have loved you, in the manner that I have loved you, even as I have loved you, that's the way that you should love each other. It's kind of a similar passage in in, in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says this, Paul says, husbands, love your wives. And if we would have stopped there, that would have been tough tough enough. Sometimes I forget to take out the trash. Sometimes I forget to fill up the water. Sometimes I forget to close the toilet lid after Katrina's reminded me hundreds of times, right? Sometimes, if it was right there. But Jesus doesn't just say, husbands love your wives. He says, husbands love your wives, even as I have also loved the church. That he tells husbands, hey, you need to love in this manner. And that's what Jesus is doing to, your, to his disciples. And this is a, a new commandment. That, they, that this is a new commandment because Jesus is saying, love like I have taught Love like I have modeled. Love like I have demonstrated. Love like my life has has taught. And that begs the question, well, how exactly did Jesus love? Right? How did Jesus love? Well, what are some aspects of the love that Jesus had that maybe we can apply to our lives and we can adhere to what Jesus tells us? And there's four aspects of Jesus' love that I want to mention and we can apply it to our life. So Jesus says, the new commandment I give you, okay, what is new? Love as I have loved. Well, what are some aspects of Jesus' love? How did he love? First aspect of Jesus' love is this. It was an all-inclusive love. It was an all-inclusive love. Notice what Jesus says. As I have loved you. Now in English, you can be singular or plural. So if I'm talking to an individual, you know, Austin or somebody, that's an individual. But I could say to the Broadway Assembly people here, I love you, which would refer to all of you. And that's the sense that Jesus says it here. It's a plurality of people. So he's not just saying, I love Peter or I love James. He is telling all of his disciples, I love you. That he loves all of his disciples in spite of their flaws in spite of their deferring personalities, right? I don't know. I know some of you have seen, seen it before, um, and through your recommendation, we started watching some of it, but The Chosen. Anybody ever seen any of The Chosen? Some good hands gone up, okay? They do a really good job of, of portraying these different personalities between the disciples, that there was the impetuousness of Peter, Okay? He, he was just impetuous. And then there was the doubting of Thomas. And then with all the disciples, they're just slow to believe. They're slow to trust. They're slow to understand. And Jesus has to rebuke them a lot of times. But Jesus' love is all-inclusive. 
Even in spite of those flaws, in spite of those different personalities, Jesus loved them all. And does that often, though, contrast with our love? You see, we love people, but a lot of times we love those that are just like us. Or we, 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 you know, I don't want to love them because they're kind of weird. I don't want to love them because, you know, they got this, they're kind of obnoxious, or they're, they're you know, just, just rude, or they're, well, whatever the different, you know, they believe a little differently. Whatever it might be, Jesus models for us an all-inclusive love that as a church body, we ought to love all the brothers and sisters in Christ. That we ought not to be exclusive in our sharing of love because they're a little odd or they're a little different like that. We need to model the love of Jesus. Let's have all-inclusive love. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus couldn't draw a few of His disciples closer. Okay? And we've seen this, if you read the Gospels, that there were a few disciples that Jesus had a little closer. Peter, James, and John. But, but Jesus didn't say, you know what, I'm going to love these a little specially and then neglect everybody else. Okay? So, so some people can, can say that, you know what, well, I, gotta, I can't have really close friends with anybody. Or some people will have close friends with some people and then they'll neglect everybody else. Okay? Jesus didn't do that. He had some closer friends, but he didn't neglect everybody else just because they weren't his close friends. And we need to make sure we model that. The, the analogy is, would kind of be like this. Husbands should have a special love for their wife, okay, right? I should have a special love for Katrina. But that doesn't mean that I hate all other women, okay? That would not be showing a love for my wife by saying, you know what, because I love her, I hate all the women, uh, other women, okay? That's not, that's not really right, okay? And sometimes we can have that attitude. Well, I'm going to love these people, but I'm going to really hate, essentially, or despise the rest of the body of Christ. No, friend, we need to have everybody all-inclusive, even though we might have some people we like more than others. That's fine. But make sure we have an all-inclusive love like Jesus. Amen. Second thing of Jesus is love. How can we love like Jesus? He had a truthful love. Now, Jesus didn't just speak the truth. He was the truth. Okay? In John chapter 14, he says that I am the way, I am the truth. Okay, Jesus is the truth. In John chapter 1 verse 14, John talking about Jesus said that he was full of grace and truth. And so as, as the embodiment of truth, he spoke truth. Right? As the embodiment of truth, as, as truth itself, he spoke unvarnished words of truth. Regardless of how listeners would react. Jesus spoke the truth and some people didn't like it. And Jesus didn't say, okay, well since you don't like it, I'll kind of model my message a little bit you know, to appease more people. Jesus spoke the truth, and the Bible says many walked away from him. John chapter 6. Many walked away from him and did not come back after him. And Jesus didn't say, all right, guys, chase all those people down. We're going to change the message a little bit to win them. No, Jesus spoke the truth. And so some people in our culture mistakenly say, well, if we're going to really love people, we can't also tell the truth. But friend, you're not loving people if you feed them lies. 
right? That love, Jesus' love is also a love of truth. And we need to make sure we have both of those. Some people, yes, can be so hard on the truth and they have no love whatsoever. That's wrong. But some people can say, you know what, we're all love. We're, we're all love, and we, but they don't have any truth. Jesus gives us both. Amen? If we're going to follow this new commandment, which is now an old command, let's make sure we have love. Not just all-inclusive love, where I love everybody, but let's make sure we have love with the truth that we hold to the Word of God. Third thing about love that Jesus modeled is a forgiving love. Right after this command here in John chapter 13, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Peter pipes up and he starts asking questions and Jesus responds. And it culminates in in Peter giving this declaration. Peter said, you know what? Lord, I will even give my life for you. And Jesus tells him what? He says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Isn't that sobering? Okay, somber. That Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you think you're going to do all this for me? And, and eventually Peter does down the road after some reconciliation and repentance. But, but Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And you're not going to just deny me once, you're going to deny me three times. And you're not just going to deny me ten years down the road, you're going to deny me before the sun comes up in the morning. And you're going to deny me back. Is that the end of Peter's ministry? Is that the end of Peter's, you know, working for the Lord? No, the Bible tells us that, that he was reconciled and he repented and he was sorrowful and he came back and he was forgiven. And church history records Peter's ministry down the road and he played a, a vital aspect in the early church where he preached the gospel. But how often are we different than that? That we don't have a forgiving love. That if somebody messes up and they try to repent, they try to do that, we're like, you know what? You know, you messed up. We know what you did as a teenager. We know what you did, that, you know, and you, you sinned and you did all this. Really? That, is that Christ-like love? Friend, all of us, all of us have skeletons in the closet. All of us have things we've done that we regret and wish we've never done. If it weren't for the forgiveness of God, where would we be? Sharon just sang this morning about God's mercy. We need God's mercy. And so we need to make sure, friend, as a church, I'm not talking about overlooking sin or none of that. Forgiveness requires repentance, right? And Peter did repent. But we need to make sure if people are repenting, if people are confessing their sin, that we are a church of forgiveness and welcoming them and not saying, you know, we're not holding over their head what they did 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Jesus had a forgiving love, he had an all inclusive love, he loved them all, he had a truthful love. But finally, number four, Jesus also had a self-giving love. That the greatest aspect of Jesus' love was not the fact that He loved everybody, although that's awesome. It's not the fact that He forgave people when they sinned very gravely, although that's awesome. The greatest aspect of Jesus' love was His selfless service for His disciples. And, at the, and John chapter 13 records an example of this that really doesn't mean a lot in our culture because we don't wash each other's feet. 
But that meant a lot in first century culture because it represented being a servant and all that. Okay, but Jesus washes disciples' feet. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to a foot washing. Anybody? It's been a long time for me. Okay, but, but it represented that Jesus served his disciples. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 10, he said that the Son of Man did not come to be served. I mean, how much different is that from us a lot of times? We go to this church because they're going to serve us. We go, we go here because they're going to serve us. Okay? No, Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve. And what was the ultimate expression of his service? Listen carefully. Amen. Somebody said it. It was the cross. It was him laying down his life for us. Jesus said in John 15, that greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And if we're going to love like Jesus loved, if, if we're going to obey his command, yeah, not, we, we don't have to get up on crosses and literally give our lives for other people. That's not what Jesus is saying. But in a similar way, we're to serve. We're not just to seek to be served. We live in a culture where we want to be served and it's all about us, friend, and that bleeds over into the church. But we are to serve, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, driving a van, just being friendly to different people, cooking a meal for other people, whatever it might be. Some of you might not need to cook a meal, I don't know. Okay, but whatever it might be, we need to make sure that we are interested in serving if we're going to love like Jesus loved. Amen. How are we doing? Good? Awesome. I meant how are we obeying this command? Kind of. <laughs> okay? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of all probably fall short. We all could improve in this area. Amen? So let's, let, let's, let's ask ourselves, how am I doing with my inclusiveness? And I'm not talking that word's a buzzword in our culture, and it can be mistaken, but I'm not talking about that. But how is Broadway Assembly doing with our inclusivity? When new people come into the church, are we welcoming do we wait a few years before we talk to them and be like, all right, now we can kind of trust them? Okay? No, friend, we need to make sure we're a welcoming church, a church of inclusivity. How are we doing when it comes to the truth, though? Okay? That we need to stand resolutely on the Word of God. Not just, not just tradition, but the Word of God. The unchanging, unadulterated, inerrant Scripture. That's our guide. How are we doing with forgiveness, and how are we doing in our service? Finally, I talked about the meaning. What, is, what does Jesus mean by this command? We talked about kind of the context. Let's look at, finally, number three, the outcome of Jesus' command. What's going to happen if Jesus' disciples actually obey this teaching? Jesus tells us. He tells us the result of what's going to happen if we love each other with this Christ-like love. He says, by this... By this type of love, by this all-inclusive love, truthful love, all of that, by this love, all men shall know that you are my disciples. Jesus tells us that this type of love would be the defining characteristic of the followers of Jesus Christ. This kind of love would be the defining characteristic of followers of Jesus Christ. And if we read through the rest of the New Testament, this supremacy of love is, is reinforced and encouraged. 
It's not like Jesus just gives us this here and then you know, the rest of the New Testament just go, goes a different way. But the rest of the New Testament, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, which is an old word for love, guess what? I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. If I can prophesy, okay, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can even understand all different types of spiritual mysteries, and I have all different words, I can give words of knowledge. Guess what he says? And if I don't have, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but if I have not charity, he said, I am nothing. What if you bestow all your goods to feed the poor? What if, you, what if you even gave your body as a martyr to be burned, but you did not have love? Paul said that that counts as nothing. That charity, that love, is the greatest of the qualities that Christians could have. John said in 1 John chapter 4, he says that if a man says, I love God, okay, a man says, I am a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but hates his brother... Well, you can just kind of overlook it or whatever. No, he says, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can you love a God that you have not seen, friend? That love is the supreme characteristic of a Christian. Now notice what Jesus does not say here. Notice what he does not say is a sure sign that a person is a true disciple of his. He does not say, by paying your tithes, you will know that they are the followers of Jesus Christ. Notice he does not say, by, by, by those who faithfully attend church, these are my, my disciples. He does not say, those who studious, studiously study the Scriptures, these are my disciples. As important as all of those things are, as important as, as, as paying tithes and, and as important as, as coming to church regularly and as important as, as all of that is, we all know that each of those things and much more can be done by lost people. Right? A lost person can be a faithful tithe giver and still be headed to hell. A person can be coming to church three times a week faithfully and still be lost. A, a person can get in the Word of God and study it hours and hours and hours. All it takes is you to go to any university to the religious department and there's going to be somebody there who studies the Word of God, but they're not even Christians. They're critics of the Bible, right? You can do all of that, but you still not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But you can't fake the self-giving love of Jesus. You can't fake that self-giving love that was modeled and taught by Jesus. Jesus is saying that it alone, by this, by this type of love, this love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, by this, all people, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. And what Jesus says here, I'm almost done, what Jesus says here is confirmed throughout church history. One example of this is, is a man by the name of, of Tertullian. And the early church, it had its flaws, like any other church does, okay? But the early church was often a little bit more faithful to Scripture than her contemporary counterparts. And the early church put the teachings of Jesus into practice, especially this ethic of love. 
Okay? And the pagan world, the heathenistic Roman Empire, they recognized that there was something different about these people. And Tertullian, in the, in the late 2nd century, records some of the reaction of the pagans. And this was the reaction of the pagan neighbors that, that the Christians you know, were around. They, they said things like, Oh, how they love one another. Oh, how they are ready even to die for one another. Friend, can the same thing be said about the modern church? Does the modern world in America say, oh, how those Christians really love each other? Does the, does the world in America say, oh, how they would even give their lives for one another? I haven't heard much of that. I've heard a lot of things like, well, you know, Christians, they're all hypocrites. And no, that's not true, but there are a lot of hypocrites. Oh, you know, you, you know oh, the church is just full of Pharisees. And no, that's not true. The church isn't just full of Pharisees, but are there a lot of Pharisees? Absolutely. For we need to ask ourselves this question, are we following what Jesus said here this morning? I want Katrina to come play the piano. You and me, we can't change the whole church. Okay? And guess what? This is the good news. That isn't your responsibility. You're not responsible for the behavior of the whole church in America, or this church in particular. But what about yourself? What about myself? Am I striving to live up to the standard established by Jesus? Okay. You see, a lot of people think of changing the world. A lot of people see what's wrong with the world, they see what's wrong with the church, and they think of how they can fix the church. But very few people take a close look in the mirror and think about how they can change themselves. Everybody thinks of changing the world. Nobody thinks of changing themselves. And if we're honest, I already said this, but if we're honest, if we are honest, even the most righteous saint here this morning, and I don't know who that would be, but even the most righteous saint here this morning falls far short of the lofty ethic established by Jesus. We could all sing, okay, from the youngest to the oldest, from side to side. We could all sing, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I need help when it comes to love. So, so maybe, perhaps, before we worry and fret about the lack of love in the church world at large, Maybe, just maybe, we should worry and fret about the lack of love in our own hearts. Okay? Right? And it's a new year. Okay? It's already been said this morning. We got fresh goals, fresh intentions, fresh ambitions. Why not add this to the list? Right? Why not resolve afresh? To love your brothers and sisters in Christ as Jesus has loved us. That you say, I'm going to commit today that I'm going to be a person 
who loves everybody when I go to the house of the Lord. I'm going to be a person of forgiveness that I'm not going to hold stuff over people's heads that they've already repented of and, and, and got the forgiveness of God over. I'm, not go, I'm, going to, I'm going to act with some selflessness. And if Pastor Jones gets up and says, hey, we need some people to serve in this area, I'm going to, I, and I, if I'm qualified, I'm going to be the first person to sign up on that list. Amen? But what if, and I want to end with this as we prepare to pray. We resolve, we resolve that. Let's say we start doing that. What if we faithfully, just imagine with me, what if we faithfully as a congregation begin to, to adhere to Jesus' instruction? What, what, what's going to happen? Jesus tells us. He says, by this, all men are going to know that you are my disciples. And who knows? I want to end with this as we prepare to play. Prepare to play. Prepare to pray. The devil's fighting me this morning. Just kidding. Maybe somebody... Maybe somebody will see that love, that supernatural, uncanny, abnormal love, that there's no way a, a group of people composed of all different back, sorts of backgrounds could love each other like that. Maybe somebody will see that love, and they themselves will commit to following the Savior. Amen. Isn't that what it's all about anyway? Isn't that the main thing that we want other people to know Jesus Amen. Let's commit this morning. Let's commit throughout this year. And in the coming years, we will be a people that loves like Jesus loves. Amen. Amen. If that's your prayer, why can't, can you meet me in the altar this morning? And let's find a place to pray. And let's talk to the Lord. Let's seriously resolve. Lord, I want to love like you have loved us. Help me to love my brothers. Help me to love my sisters. As, you love, as you've loved us. Come find a place to pray. God bless you. Make me in your image. Wash me white as snow. Purify this heart of mine. Lord, I'm giving you control. I want to be a vessel. One that's worthy to be used. Make me in your image. Make me more like you. Make me in your image. Wash me white as snow. Purify this heart of mine. Lord, I'm giving you control. I want to be a vessel. One that's worthy to be used. Make me in your image. Make me more like you. Make me in your image. Wash me white as snow. Purify this heart of mine. Lord, I'm giving you control. I want to be a vessel. One that's worthy to be used. Make me in your image. Make me more like you. Make me in your image. Wash me white as snow. Purify this heart of mine. Lord, I'm giving you control. I want to be a vessel. One that's worthy to be used. Make me in your image. Make me more like you. Make me in your image. 
Wash me white as snow. Purify this heart of mine. Lord, I'm giving you control. I want to be a vessel. One that's worthy to be used. Make me in your image. Make me more like you. Make me in your image. Wash me white as snow. Purify this heart of mine. Lord, I'm giving.